late for a very important date. It's been so long since my last show. I'm late, I'm late, I'm late. Yes, I know, I know, I know. But the reality is, last month was hectic. It was crazy as all hell. So as I mentioned in the last time that I was working with uh, the folks at Digital Extremes who do Warframe in their quest to conquer cancer with the Princess Margaret Cancer Foundation. And I streamed a lot last month. I streamed so much and I got raided by so many other Warframe streamers that Twitch, Twitch actually sent me a notification saying, hey, if you'd like to apply to be a partner, and I'm just like, yeah, that ain't going to happen. Not going to happen. I qualify to be partner in a lot of different ways, but the one way that it will never work is that you have to have an average of 75 streamers per uh, stream. 75 streamers. An, an average of 75 viewers per stream. And that ain't going to happen. I, I'm a nobody in the Twitch scene. I don't stream as often as I'd like. But, I mean, that goes to show how crazy last month was for me. And I have... I've only got 2,200 followers around there, which is not a lot. There are Warframe streamers out there who have thousands or tens of thousands more than I do. So in the Warframe streaming community, I'm really not much of anyone. But my amazing community, and it's really a small amount of people. I mean, it's, whenever I stream, there's a small cluster of people who are there every stream. Every single stream, they're there. And just like this podcast, I know that there are people who listen to every single podcast because they let me know. But on the 11th of October, I had a two-hour chat with Megan Everett, who is the community director with Digital Extremes, and we've known each other for many years. And we'd planned on playing Warframe, but we ended up spending the whole two hours chatting. And there were people who were saying, you know, in the stream, in the chat stream as it went on, saying how much they enjoyed the fact that we were just chatting and they were going to stick around, which was awesome. But between all of that, my little community managed to raise 1500 now, it's Canadian, but still, th this little nobody Warframe streamer managed to get $1,500 through his community, and that just blows my mind. So the last half, I was really trying to get that $1,500 goal. So the last week, last two weeks of October, I was streaming hard. Like any night that I was available, I was streaming. And we did it. We, we freaking hit that $1,500 goal. I was literally speechless and i don't mean literally as just i mean i was there sitting when we hit the 1500 dollars on my stream like i i um i i just you uh i mean until one of the guys in chat was like i think we broke his brain <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah they broke my brain i mean granted there's not much of a, not much of a brain there to break i get that but you know it was it was a crazy month and unfortunately as a result of that, it took me more time than, than normal to get notes for this podcast and find out what's going on. Honestly, there's not a whole hell of a lot going on anyway. So this will probably be a shorter episode than normal, which, you know, I say that anyway, and I end up rambling, and the show takes an hour and a half, <laughs> maybe an hour and 15. Uh, it's, yeah, it's me. But anyway, yeah, I mean, last, last month was crazy. And I cannot say thank you enough to, to all of the people who have donated, some of whom donated multiple times. I mean, I want to say we did it, but really, you did it. You know, my, my Twitch community did it. And I could be on stream doing what I do and, you know, talking about the, the quest to conquer cancer and all that. But the simple fact of the matter is it's the community who gave. It's the community who showed up to the streams. And hopefully, hopefully, 
with the results of, of things like this, I mean, Warframe as a whole got in almost $200,000. And, you know, it, it'd be nice to know that that money went to curing maybe one type of cancer. There, there are lots of different types of cancer out there. So to say, let's cure cancer is kind of a misnomer because, well, there's, there's, there's you know, there's multiple different kinds of cancers. There's lung cancer, prostate cancer, ovarian cancer. You know, there are a whole bunch of different cancers. They all need to be treated and eliminated differently. But it would be nice if, because of things like, you know, the quest to conquer cancer, that we could finally get a cure for at least one or more types of cancer in our lifetime. So thank you to everyone who donated, or just spread the word. I understand times are hard. Not everybody was able to donate. Just spreading the word, retweeting my tweets and things like that, it helped. So yeah, the last few weeks in October were super crazy. So uh, that's, that's why this podcast is a little bit later than even I would like. But anyway, that said, on with the show. I know that there are many in here who love Doctor Who. They're Whovians. Uh, so this one might or might not be good news for you. Outside of the UK and Ireland, Doctor Who is going to Disney+. Plus. Yep. So they'll debut on the BBC, and they'll land on Disney Plus in late 2023. Uh, normally in the US, Doctor Who has been showing on BBC America. Uh, HBO Max has also shown some episodes. But for the newer series, it's going to Disney+. Plus. And already I can hear the sounds of a lot of people pulling their pirate hats out of their closets, if they're not out of the closets already because of the various streaming services. Oh, you want to watch this? You got to pay for this service. You got to watch this? You got to pay for this service. You want to watch this? You got to pay for this service. And BitTorrent's getting popular again. Anyway, as of a couple of days ago, Netflix has launched an ad-supported tier, which currently costs $6.99 a month. So they're besting Disney Plus's ad-supported tier, which isn't coming out until December 8th. And it's going to be a dollar more. Canada and Mexico already have the plan, and it's now also available in Australia, Brazil, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, Korea, and the UK, with Spain coming on board on November 10th. Additionally, Disney has announced price hikes on both of its Disney Plus platforms. The new ad-supported version will be $7.99 a month, and the ad-free version will be going up to $10.99 a month uh, from its current $7.99 a month. So according to Netflix, their ad-sponsored, yeah, duh, take two, their ad-supported version will have four to five minutes of ads per hour, and both series and movies will be interrupted by commercial spots. Got a couple of Netflix-related articles here, actually. In the last podcast, I mentioned how a number of theater owners were actually kind of excited that they were going to be offering Netflix movies inside the theaters. Well, apparently Netflix themselves are throwing a little bit of water onto that fire. Netflix chief, uh, sorry, co-chief and chief content officer Ted Sarandos said uh, that there are all kinds of debates all the time, back and forth, but there is no question internally that we make our movies for our members and we really want them to see them on Netflix. Most people watch movies at home. And needs to say, with that announcement, a lot of theater owners were like, what? Now, the thing is, Glass Onion, which is the sequel to the Knives Out movie, uh, it's supposed to be Netflix only. There's been a small deal with, with some theaters to say that you know, it will be shown theatrically, but in a limited number of locations, and it's meant to be a test run to see how well it works. Will it bring in more money for Netflix than they otherwise would have? Would it have any impact on streaming? And da 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 So it's considered to be a test run, but apparently Netflix isn't even waiting for that test result to come in, and it's, it's ticking off some theater owners, which of course could jeopardize future deals. Now, quite frankly... 
most people might watch movies at home, but not everybody has Netflix at home. There's a lot of competition out there. And it's unrealistic to think that somebody who does not have Netflix at home would not go to see a Netflix movie in a theater. They very well might. And then keep in mind that a lot of movie directors actually prefer to have their movies shown on the big screen, and that includes Ryan Johnson, who's doing Glass Onion. And on top of that, the exhibition industry argues, and a lot of studios agree with this, that a run in theaters can actually boost home viewing numbers because, quite frankly, a lot of people don't necessarily talk about movies that are restricted to streaming. They'll talk about movies that they saw in a theater. So who knows what's going to happen, but if you had any kind of high hopes of being able to see Netflix movies in a theater without actually having to go and, and get Netflix, well, who knows how well that's going to go in the future with attitudes like this. Not much else to talk with regarding streaming, although I will say that if you are primarily a, a Roku user like I am, all of our streaming devices here are Roku, with the exception of one Chromecast. But honestly, the only thing I use the Chromecast for is pushing video over from my PC. But now that we are getting into the whole Christmas season thing, you're finding a lot of deals. And I did find that Roku's most powerful streaming, well, it's their second most powerful streaming stick, I guess. It's their streaming stick 4K. It was 25 bucks. It's normally 50 I found that at my local Home Depot, so it's on sale. So if you're looking for a new Roku streaming stick, though this podcast is not sponsored by Roku. I wouldn't mind it if they were. But I'm just saying, look for some deals out there. You might be able to get something at a really good price. Uh, the one thing that I want to get is their Ultra, which has an Ethernet adapter. It's not strictly Wi-Fi. And I saw on their website that that's actually $30 off, which surprised the hell out of me. But, I mean, the nice thing about these streaming sticks is you don't need a TV. You can use a monitor. You know, it uses an HDMI port, so you plug it in, and there you go. But, anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there in case anybody was looking. A lot of companies nowadays are no longer doing the whole Black Friday BS, and they're simply making their sales available from the beginning of November all the way through to Christmas. So, if you're looking for streaming units, whether it's Roku or whatever... You might want to start looking, and you never know what kind of deals you'll find out there. I did not expect this for 25 bucks, So I was like, yeah, I'm grabbing that. So as I record this, we're at the start of a new weekend, which means any box office numbers I give are going to be speculation. doesn't really matter what I say. But it looks like Black Adam is still going strong, expecting to bring in 14 to $16 million this weekend, uh, which would be $135 million domestically if that goes through. And it looks like it's going to best Crunchyroll's anime title, One Piece Film Red, which is only expected to make about $10 million this weekend. And that's actually on the lower end of Crunchyroll's usual fare. Normally, those kinds of movies will bring in $21 million on its first weekend, so even that is looking to be a little bit weak. This one goes in the rumor category. Actually, there are a lot of things for this episode that go into the rumor category. Apparently, a new Star Wars film is in the works with scribe Daryl Lindelof writing the script. Now, you might know him as the co-creator of Lost. He also wrote uh, uh, TV shows for The Leftovers and Watchmen. He wrote multiple Star Trek films. So if you've heard the name before, there are reasons for it. Uh, his involvement with Star Wars has been long rumored. And again, this is just yet another rumor. But really, we don't know what's going to be going on with this. Obviously, Patty Jenkins' Road Squadron film has been put on the back burner, if not given the kibosh entirely. Taika Waititi still apparently has a film in the works, but we haven't heard anything on that lately. So who knows what's going to happen. And right now, there are two Star Wars features dated. Uh, they're both untitled. 
for December 2025 and December 2027. Whether this is going to be one of them or not, I don't know. Time will tell, but as long as the whole frickin' Skywalker saga is finished, I'll be happy. Disney is working on a live-action fantasy and sci-fi-infused movie that's inspired by the Middle East folk collection of 1001 Nights, also known as Arabian Nights. Uh, plot details are being kept under wraps, but apparently this is going to be an original take drawn on the old folk tales. It'll be a standalone IP, so it won't be connected to things like Aladdin. Even though Aladdin's story comes from the Arabian Nights series or collection, uh, same thing with Alibaba and the Forty Thieves and the Seven Voyages of Sinbad all come from this collection. No other info on that, but I will admit I'm eager to see what they come up with. 30 years ago, the Joy Luck Club pretty much changed Asian representation in movies, and after three decades, a sequel is in development with original author Amy Tan on board. Apparently, the original leading cast are all in talks to return to their roles, and obviously now they're going to be the mothers and grandmothers of their families. I mean, yeah, 30 years, hello. So the Joy Luck Club was released in 1993 and tells the multi-generational saga of Chinese and Chinese-American mothers and daughters whose histories, stories, and lives interweave as they navigate life. Uh, it was executive produced by Oliver Stone and grossed almost $33 million at the time, which, okay, granted, keep in mind, this was 30 years ago, but even then it was considered to be a success because it brought in $33 million, but its budget was $10 million. Kind of surprised that it's taking... Well, you know what? I don't, I'm not surprised that it's coming up with a sequel so long afterward when you consider really that the only other movie for that demographic really was crazy rich asians which only came out a few years ago and made 230 million on a 30 million dollar budget so honestly considering the success of crazy rich asians i'm not surprised that they've decided to go back with a joy luck club sequel another one for the rumor category i don't necessarily understand this one but uh According to sources, Sidney Sweeney is on board to star in a new Barbarella movie. Yes, Barbarella movie. Now, granted, Barbarella is a legitimate French comic book series from way back when, but I think it, it's most people who listen to this podcast who know Barbarella know it from the 1968, dyslexic there, 1968 movie starring Jane Fonda. So the, the movie was not popular, but it has become a cult classic. So right now, not known as not much is known about this particular version, but the original 1968, 68, not 86, uh, follows an astronaut from the 41st century who sets out to find and stop the evil scientist Durand Durand, mm -hmm, whose positronic ray threatens to bring evil back into the galaxy. I'm <laughs> I mean, how 1960s B-movie can you get with a you know, plot like that? Anyway, the Dune sequel is now being pushed two weeks earlier. It was scheduled to be released on November 17th, 2023. It's now going to be released on November 3rd, although it does not say if it's going to go day and date on HBO Max like the first one did. Although, keep in mind, even going day and date, the, the first movie still brought in $400 million globally, and it won six Oscars. So, don't know what the next one's going to be like, but I will let you know as soon as I find out. Looks like we've got a new movie to top the box office bombs of 2022. Amsterdam stands to lose nearly $100 million 
And kind of the, the video clip that I had of Matt Damon was it the last podcast talking about how it's actually really difficult anymore because of the crash of, of DVD to do some, you know, any kind of more adult skewing movies in the box office. It's uh, it looks like this could be another victim of that. It was expected to make 12 to 15 million on its first weekend. It made 6.5. So now keep in mind when they're talking about well, how much you could lose that also includes marketing and things like that. So the budget for the production generally is doubled. Generally, um, there are exceptions to that, of course. But the budget for Amsterdam was actually $80 million. And it has a list of top performers. I mean, it's got Margot Robbie, Christian Bale, uh, Rami Malek, Robert De Niro, Anna Taylor-Joy, Taylor Swift, Michael Shannon. And that's just part of the list. But on an $80 million budget, this movie has grossed just over $24 million. So, I mean, yeah, this kind of movie, even when you look at standards before the pandemic, this was an expensive movie for the kind of movie that it is. But it brings to mind the question of what about movies like this in the future? I mean, one of the movies that I keep seeing people trying to compare this to is 2014's Grand Budapest Hotel. But that was a success, big success. It had a budget of $25 million and brought in $173 million. So, I mean, yeah, the high production cost of Amsterdam certainly did not help. But apparently the movie was, was victim of COVID because it was supposed to film in Boston. Then COVID hit, so they had to move production to L.A. where most of the stars wanted it to be done. That supposedly pushed the production cost up $30 million. Ouch. So who knows what's going to happen, but... Yeah, so that, that's probably going to be the biggest box office bomb for this year. Then we've got The Northman, which was produced for about $70 million and only earned about $70 million. So anything that was done in advertising, and that had heavy advertising, that's going to be considered a loss. Same thing with The uh, the Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent with Nicolas Cage. It was about $30 million production cost, earned about $29 million at the box office, so... Anything that was used for uh, advertising and so forth with that is considered a loss. I mean, some people are listing Morbius as a failure, and I disagree with that. Its budget was about $80 million, and it made $160 million at the box office. No, it's not great, but I would not call that a failure. Maybe break-even, just about break-even. I mean, granted, for a comic book movie, that's a really crappy box office, but I would not consider that to be a failure. I mean, really, the only competitor that Amsterdam has for the biggest flop of the year is probably Moonfall. I mean, Moonfall had an estimated production cost of about $146 million, and that only earned $59 million at the box office. So that right there, it lost or it lost $90 million just on production costs, not including advertising. But, you know, oh well. I mean, Moonfall comes from Lionsgate. They've had so many successes. They can probably eat that. And Amsterdam came from Walt Disney. Yeah, they're just shrugging off that loss. As usual, there have been some deaths since the last podcast. Uh, probably the most notable is Angela Lansbury, star of stage and screen, has died. Three-time Oscar nominee, five-time Tony Award winner. Probably best known uh, by most people for, well, especially, you know, older farts like me for her TV series Murder, She Wrote, on CBS. That went on for 12 seasons. And regarding the stage, she played Mame in the, the musical, winning five Tony Awards for her performance, uh, including an honorary Oscar back in 2014. 
but she actually received her first Best Supporting Actress Oscar nomination in her very first role when she was 19 years old as the young maid Nancy in 1944's Gaslight, and then did other movies like uh, 1962's Manchurian Candidate, and of course, as I said, she, she, she just totally shined on Broadway in her role in Mame and Sweeney Todd, and then of course on TV with Murder, She Wrote, which ran from 1984 to 1996, but on the big screen, she was also in Blue Hawaii with Elvis Presley, uh, Bedknobs and Broomsticks, and of course, Mrs. Potts for Disney's Beauty and the Beast. And with an amazing career that lasted almost eight decades, Angela Lansbury has died at the age of 96. And we have also lost Scottish-born comic and actor Robbie Coltrane, known for his British crime series Cracker, but I think most people here know him as Hagrid from the Harry Potter franchise. His early TV credits include Flash Gordon, Black Adder, which is a great series, uh, Keep It in the Family, but his breakout role was playing Dr. Edward Fitzgerald, uh, who was an antisocial criminal psychologist with a gift for solving crimes in the Cracker series over in, the, over in England, which ran for 25 episodes between 1993 and 2006. <laughs> in the States, 25 episodes would have been one season. <laughs> But he also was on the big screen with two roles in various James Bond films as Valentin Zukovsky in GoldenEye and The World Is Not Enough. I remember watching him in uh, what I think is an underrated movie, Nuns on the Run, with Eric Idle. And I remember him playing a, a criminal in the movie Crawl, which, yes, I know Crawl. I love it. Say what you want about it. Yes, it was so-so fantasy fair. Don't care. I love the movie. But Robbie Coltrane was in that as well. But I think for most people, he will be mostly known as Hagrid. And you know what? He is okay with that because he said not too long before he died, you know, that 50 years from now, he won't be around, but Hagrid will be. Robbie Coltrane was 72. The reboot of House Party, which was supposed to be HBO Max, is getting a theatrical release, which was originally scheduled for December 9th of this year. Uh, it's now going to be opening on January 13th of next year. And, you know, I don't like rap, but I did see House Party when it was first released. And I actually enjoyed it. It was a funny movie, and I still quote some lines from it all this time later. We'll just have to see what the reboot does. Another one for the rumor category. Apparently there is a new Naked Gun movie, and Liam Neeson is in talks to star on it. So apparently no green light has been given, but sources say that it's headed in that direction if they can get the deal to close for Neeson. Apparently Seth MacFarlane is producing. Uh, plot details are, of course, being kept under wraps, except they're saying that Neeson may be playing the son of Frank Drebin, who was, I mean, that was the role made famous by Leslie Nielsen. So if you've never heard of Naked Gun, you should see the first movies. They, they're just slapstick, total police slapstick comedy. Leslie Nielsen is brilliant in those movies and the funny part is that the first film was based off the abc series police squad which had such bad ratings on tv that it was canceled after only six episodes but yet the movie which is based off of the tv series was made for uh the production costs on that one were only 12 million dollars and it made 78 million dollars at the box office so it was a hit and it spawned multiple more movies beyond that so apparently they've been actually talking about rebooting this franchise since 2010, which is when Leslie Nielsen died. Uh, but the right story apparently has been elusive well, until now. 
Should this rumor become solid news, I will let you know. No real surprise here, but Marvel has paused the Blade movie in the search of a new director. Mentioned that with the last podcast. Basim Tariq left. Uh, supposedly, he just could not get along with uh, Maharshala Ali with regard to what they wanted the character to do. So he left, and now Marvel is temporarily shutting down the production on it. And the project was supposed to have sh- started shooting this month in Atlanta. So now they're hoping that it will be able to restart production in early 2023. And needless to say, it has been pushed off the schedule. Actually, it has been pushed off the schedule entirely. Right now, they pushed the release date out to September 6th, 2024. Obviously, that can get pushed again. But in addition to Blade getting pushed out, Marvel has also pushed out Deadpool 3. That was supposed to be released on September 6th of 2024. It's now November 8th. Fantastic Four has been changed from November 8th, 2024 to February 14th, 2025. An untitled Marvel film has been pushed from February 14th, 2025 to November 7th, 2025. Avengers Secret War has been pushed from November 7th, 2025 to May 1st, 2026. And another untitled Marvel film that was set for May 1st, 2026 has been removed from Disney's calendar altogether. So yeah, a lot of dates being pushed on the Marvel side of things. It is now official. Henry Cavill has uh, announced that he is going to be coming back as Superman. This is not a surprise in any way, shape, or form. If you've seen a certain movie, you can probably figure out which one I'm talking about just because what other DC movies are out right now. So we're not sure in which context he's going to be coming back. There's his own movie or he's going to be a part of another franchise. We don't know yet, but he has made it official. He is returning as Superman. I used to ask myself a lot of questions. Scott, you're at ex-con. How are you an Avenger? That doesn't make sense. But everywhere I go, people tell me the same thing. Thank you, Spider-Man. People still need help, Dad. That's why we made this. Like a satellite for deep space, but Quanta. Wait, wait a minute. You're sending a signal down to the quantum realm. Turn it off. Now! And that is the official trailer for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Obviously, that's only a little bit of it. But of course, if you want to watch the whole thing, assuming that you haven't already, link will be in the show notes, as usual. Oh, and yeah, that's coming out February 17th of next year. Would be good to have that information too, wouldn't it? Another one for the rumor category. Apparently, after writing and producing the first two Venom films, Kelly Marcel is going to be making the jump into the director's chair for Venom 3. Of course, plot details are unknown other than Tom Hardy's returning. Well, let's face it, no one is really surprised by this. Both of the first two films combined grossed $1.3 billion at the global box office. Uh, the only thing that we don't know right now is pretty much everything else. We don't know who's going to be part of this, who, what other characters are going to be here. And of course, it's all just a rumor. So, of course, anything else more concrete comes out, and you'll find out right here. And we got another rumor here. <laughs> Lots of rumors this month. What can I say? 
Uh, looks like there is going to be a big-scale sequel to the 1996 storm-chasing movie Twister. And if it's true, the new sequel is going to be called Twisters. So apparently Steven Spielberg is very enthusiastic about this and has actually tried to fast-track the film. But right now there is no director attached. Joseph Kaczynski, who did Top Gun Maverick, was supposed to be directing this one. But obviously there's, there's nothing yet on a director. Sources have said that they hope to bring Helen Hunt back. And apparently the movie is going to focus on the daughter that she had with the character that was played by the late Bill Paxton. Apparently the daughter has caught the storm-chasing bug that her parents had. I mean, I guess, I guess I can't be surprised that they're bringing it back, but at the same time it's like, why? But I mean, nonetheless, the original movie had a budget of less than $100 million and went on to gross almost $500 million at the box office. And that's in 96, so it made a lot of money back then. But again, this is all rumor and speculation. Wouldn't be surprised if it comes true. And if it does, you'll find out here. There is a new Godzilla movie coming out. Uh, it was announced by Toho. So they said that they're prepping an all-new installment that is expected to be released in exactly one year. Well, according to the article. So that would be November 3rd of 2023. This will be their first uh, Japanese Godzilla flick since Shin Godzilla of 2016, which... Okay, I don't like Godzilla films. I just, I don't like them. I actually really like Shin Godzilla. Crazy as it may sound, I like Shin Godzilla. So right now, the new project remains untitled. Toho is not saying anything. They did drop a teaser poster for it. And I mean, don't expect anything. The teaser poster is basically a big painted G. <laughs> There's not much else to it. But they also said if you want more Godzilla stuff, but until then that they will be launching their Japanese animated series Godzilla Island, which has never been released in the U.S., on their YouTube channel sometime later this month. So apparently this was a 256-episode series that was a staple of late 1990s Japanese TV. Harrison Ford is going to be joining the Marvel Cinematic Universe now with the role of General Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross, starting with Captain America New World Order. And this was the role that was played by the late William Hurt before he died at the age of 71 recently. So the new film's plot is, of course, being kept under wraps. That's what they do. Uh, Anthony Mackie is set to reprise his role as Sam Wilson. And the movie is set for release on May 3rd, 2024. Curious what happened with you two? I didn't tell you. We was like brothers. I was the best, though. But I never got a chance to prove that. That's cute. I know what you're doing, Donnie. You don't owe this to nothing. Damien's fighting the world and he's trying to hurt people. I vouch for you. You think you mad? Try spending half your life in a cell. Why did somebody else live your life? I'm coming for everything. You threatening me? Something is going on with you. Damien was like family. Now we passed talking. Then maybe you just have to find out. And that was part of the trailer for Creed 3. So the storyline is that when a childhood friend and former boxing prodigy resurfaces after serving a long sentence in prison, he is eager to prove that he deserves a shot in the ring. The face-off between former friends is more than just a fight. Coming to theaters on March 3rd, 2023, and you know where to go if you want to see the rest of the trailer.
Don't ask. I just, this is me. Those of you who are horror fans are probably going to be happy to hear that The Conjuring is getting another sequel. Conjuring 4 is uh, going to be produced soon. It's being produced by James Wan and Peter Safran, who are, of course, the team behind every single one of The Conjuring movies. Now, the Conjuring films are based on real-life case files of paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren, although the exact case for this new installment is being kept secret. Another sequel is no surprise at all. Uh, the third one, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, opened at number one at the box office, and so far the whole Conjuring franchise has brought in over $2 billion worldwide, so yeah, they're going to keep this one going. No word on a release date or anything or a director, but when I find out, so will you. I neglected to mention this one earlier. I should have put it in with uh, the other obituaries, but Lenny Lipton, who is the lyricist of Puff the Magic Dragon, has died. Now, you might be thinking, wait a minute, John, really? Puff the Magic Dragon? Some of you probably don't even know what the hell I'm talking about when it comes to that. Uh, Puff the Magic Dragon was a song that was originally written by Lenny Lipton, and it became a big hit for Peter, Paul, and Mary back in the late 1960s. No, sorry, in the early 1960s, peaked at number two in the Billboard Hot 100. And if you've never heard it before, well... Puff the magic dragon Lived by the sea And frolicked in the autumn mist In a land called Hanalee So you're still probably confused as all hell why this is even part of this podcast. Well... Just like Hedy Lamarr, who was obviously a gorgeous Hollywood actress, she is also a co-creator of the technology that we use nowadays, which you know as Wi-Fi. Specifically, she helped to develop a radio guidance system for Allied torpedoes that used something called spread spectrum and frequency hopping to defeat jamming by the Axis powers during World War II. And you thought she was just a good-looking actress. Well, Lenny Lipton is also a pioneer of the 3D community in Hollywood, he was the developer of the Z-Screen Electro-Optical Modulator, which is what is currently used in theaters to give 3D projection using polarized 3D glasses. Ah, now you see why I had a very strong interest in this. So he did serve as production assistant on One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, but he founded a company called Stereographics in 1980, and that's where he started to work on 3D projection was going to say filmmaking, but this is more of a projection thing. Stereographics was then bought out by Real D in 2005, and his technology is still used now for us to be able to see 3D movies without, you know, the big, heavy kind of IMAX active glasses. If you see a 3D movie with, the, you know, just cheap old plastic glasses, you can thank him for it. So as of 2015, he held 68 patents with dozens more pending, the Smithsonian, uh, the Smithsonian honored him in 1996 for the invention of Crystal Eyes, which is electronic eyewear for computer graphics and video applications. So he did more than just 3D. But in 2011, the International 3D Society, now called the Advanced Imaging Society, presented him with its Century Award for Lifetime Achievement. So if you love 3D like I do, especially with the cheap plastic glasses, then you have Lenny Lipton to thank for it. Lenny Lipton has died at the age of 82. Dad, I know you think I'm crazy. But I feel her. 
hear her heartbeat. She's so close. So what does her heartbeat sound like? Okay, I admit that that was a, a trailer that gives you practically no information whatsoever, and I understand that, but it is the very, very first trailer. They're not going to give out too much information for Avatar The Way of Water. Now, granted, this is James Cameron. This is Avatar. It's, it's much more visually appealing than anything else, so you'd have to see the trailer really to appreciate it. And I'm sure that they'll give more of the story as we get closer to the release date, which happens to be... December 16th, so we're getting close to it. And as always, link in the show notes. I've talked about this movie before because it's it's so freaking ridiculous. Now that Winnie the Pooh is in the public domain, what's one of the first things to come out using that IP now? Of course, a slasher horror movie. What else would it be? So I think I talked about this on the last podcast. Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Money. An extremely low budget, extremely bloody take on uh, the beloved children's story well it went so viral over the summer it's coming to theaters so (laughs) fathom events is going to be doing it for a one-day event across hundreds of u.s theaters on february 15th it's also going to be released in the uk by altitude and the mexican chain cinemex also plans on showing it on a couple hundred screens and Cineplex in Canada is also going to be showing the movie. So Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, <laughs> is uh, about a six-foot Pooh and sidekick Piglet who go on a murderous rampage through the Hundred Acre Wood after being left to fend for themselves by Christopher Robin and going feral. And not only are they planning to make a sequel to it, they're also planning a... Uh, <laughs> Peter Pan Neverland Nightmare. I, okay. <laughs> well, I, I don't have to watch it, but hey, have fun with it. After a 20-year absence from the big screen, Shelley Duvall is coming back to movies. The 73-year-old actress is known probably most famously for playing Wendy Torrance in The Shining, but she's now returning to acting with a surprise cameo in the indie horror film The Forest Hills. Forest Hills is also going to feature Dee Wallace, who played Elliot's mom in E.T., and Edward Furlong, who played John Connor in Terminator 2. This werewolf horror movie currently has no release date. It's simply listed as being released sometime next year. And the trailer doesn't exactly fit with what I like to do with this podcast, so I won't play it. But I will have a link to it if you do wish to see it for yourself. However, one thing that I will link to... Is You know, if if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that I love behind-the-scenes videos and how movies are made, how they do certain things. You might think that a lot of the flying scenes in Top Gun were mostly or entirely CGI, and actually, the vast majority of them might, well, they might have been augmented a little bit by CGI, but the vast majority of all the flying sequences were actually done by real Top Gun pilots. 
Preparation was key for Kaczynski, who had to meticulously plan every single motion the planes would make while up in the sky. Because once those planes took off, the entire scene was purely in the hands of the actors and their pilots. I would be there on the flight line, setting up the cameras all the way until the canopy closed, but once they pulled away, I didn't see them until they came back an hour later. So the only person you could talk to was the pilot, and you wouldn't even know how good the footage was until you got back. So when, once we got back to base, then we would play the footage and then we would see like, oh, the lighting was off, oh, that, ah, I could have done more there. My eye line isn't gonna match from what that guy just did. And so it's, it, to be able to, film this, it was a highly technical kind of undertaking. And yeah, you had to do a lot of different things when you're up in the jet. Here comes some G's. There's five G's. Seven G's. There are times when the action feels so real in the cockpit that it appears as if the cast are genuinely reacting to the scenario they find themselves in as much as they are acting. This is highlighted in one of the film's most challenging aerial maneuvers. For these pilots, when they go over a mountain peak, they don't go over like this. As soon as they get to the top, they go inverted and then go, the back, go down there and then they flip back over. And there's one or two times doing that where I like came out of my seat and I actually hit the, it's in the movie actually, I hit my head on the canopy and I thought it was a unusable take, but that's, those are oftentimes the ones you end up using. His straps should have been tighter, but it looks so great to see him drop out of his straps. We left that in the film. Even the scene where Dark Star flies over Ed Harris, it destroyed the set. You watch it rips the roof off the guard shack. That was not planned. That was a one take thing where we destroyed the set and that's the only shot we got and that's in the movie. So the whole thing is about 10 minutes long, and it's called You Can't Fake the G's. So it's about how Top Gun Maverick pulled off the practical, and I stress practical, flying scenes. The video's about 10 minutes long. I loved it. I've watched through it several times already. Well, this is me. I love jets. I love behind the scenes. So this, this was the perfect kind of video for me. So whether you like military aircraft or you like movies or you like both, if you have any interest in how things are done behind the scenes, this will probably be of interest to you. Link in the show notes. And I think that'll do it. Wow, hey, I was right. I didn't ramble on too much, and this is a shorter podcast than normal. That's okay. So anyway, that, that's it for this episode. Show number 298, closing in on show number 300. Of course, had I kept up my normal pace, we'd probably be closer to show 350, 370, you know, something like that. But life has a way of, of mucking up the gearworks. Anyway, I'm going to call it for now. So for my fellow Americans, have a good Thanksgiving. And if you don't celebrate Thanksgiving for whatever reason, have a good Thursday. You know, they're already gathering show notes for the next one, hopefully. Nah, I'm not even going to say it. I'll, I'll release it when I get a chance to release it. <laughs> my life is crazy. It, it's crazy. You knew this. I'm crazy. That's what fits. Anyway, that's it. Done for this one. Top, top for now. Take care of yourself. Take care of each other. And toodles! I can pray and trick with a double tongue, but the only fool here is me. I choose the way to go, but the road won't set me free. Cause I wish you'd see me, baby. Save me, I'm going crazy. Trying to keep us real, keep us alive. This day we'll die tonight, and there ain't no exception. We shouldn't wait for nothing to wait for Love me in this fable, babe, my heart is in your hand Our time is waiting right out
is copyright 2022 well no not always it's not always 2022 but you know anyway this podcast is copyright 2022 and is released under the creative commons license some rights reserved the ice cream podcast is a proud member of the blueberry network that's blueberrynoease.com theme music is by poets of the fall and is used with permission please visit their website at poetsofthefall.com this has been a widescreen.org production